0: me and we'll begin our study. Lord, uh, we thank you for another chance to come and Lord, get washed by your word and uh, draw near to you and uh, encounter you, God. And I pray that 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 would happen, Lord, that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us and we would be changed from it. God, that this wouldn't just be a Uh, another Wednesday night service, Lord, but this would be an impactful moment, uh, not from me, but from you, Lord, so I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would um, just stir hearts and and minds, and Lord, we'd be able to apply some of these um, deep things uh, to our lives, God, so, so crazy when you say things are going to happen, they happen, Lord, and it's so awesome to be able to To see the prophecies fulfilled throughout history, Um, it's absolutely fascinating. But we know it's just a testimony to you and your faithfulness. You do keep your word. Every single word that proceeds out of your mouth, you either have kept it or you're going to keep it and fulfill it. So I pray, God, that we would uh, see that tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Decisions, decisions, decisions. How much impact could one decision possibly make? One decision? Not that much, right? It could bring maybe a little good or maybe a little bad, but one decision can't be that impactful. Could it? Or could it? As we're going to see here in this text, these decisions that these men made radically shaped history, radically shaped the nation of Israel. See, Jacob is going to bestow these prophetic blessings upon his sons and we're going to see that these tribes pick up on the same character qualities of the sons of the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. And we're going to see that there's some decisions that Jacob brings out and he either blesses them or curses them in a way based on sometimes just one decision. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, Decisions Affect Descendants. Decisions Affect Descendants. Now you might say, that's ridiculous. Our decisions wouldn't affect our descendants. Well, I think there's a message here that's clear in this text that it actually could. Our decisions actually could affect history. And that's exactly what God is getting across through Jacob and these blessings that he bestows. On his sons. If you would with me. Genesis chapter 49. Verse 1 it says. And Jacob called his sons. And said gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the day, in the last days. See, he's not only bringing them together to bless them, but he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you in the last days. He's speaking prophetically. Obviously, God is revealing things to him because we're going to see a lot of these things have already played out in history through some of these Uh, some of these tribes, which is absolutely fascinating. We'll talk about some of that, but we'll see here that based on some of the decisions that these men made, their tribes will often follow in their footsteps. Point number one, families follow their fathers. Families follow their fathers. We're going to see here that these families, these tribes indeed follow their fathers follow the father of the tribe. No, I'm not saying every family follows their father because we know that's not always true, right? We know that there's some families that there's not a father in the family. He's either left or he's passed or whatever the case may be. But we see a truth in scripture that God created the family dynamic. And he said the family's supposed to follow the father. And we'll see in this text, yes, that's what ends up happening. They're going to follow their fathers for better or for worse. And that's a huge charge to us men, those of us that have wives, those of us that have families. Even if you're single, people will follow your footsteps. But specifically, as we speak of the children of Israel, the children, they are so likely to mimic Their fathers to mimic their mothers as well. And they do the good things that they see their parents do. And they see the bad things that they see their parents do. So what kind of example do we set for the people around us. Knowing that it's going to affect them one way or another. More importantly not just the decisions. What's your legacy? What are you leaving behind? when you think about it and you think about like, I'm just thinking about a, a Judah coming. Okay. He's not even here yet. And I'm already thinking about what am I going to leave behind for him? What's my, what's he going to know me as? What's that relationship going to be like? What will my legacy be? What kind of example will I be? Those things that I struggle with. I want to cut those things out before he comes And those things that I'm doing. Okay. at, I want to do better at those things. But we each have to ask ourselves, what legacy are we leaving? Cause we're we're not just leaving a legacy in our name. No, no, no. We're leaving it in our, in our children's name. And they're going to pick up on some of those things. And that's exactly what we see with these 12 tribes of Israel. Now, how do we leave a, a legacy that's, that's worth following? Because it's going to be followed one way or another. Well, first of all, it's leading by example. Of course, we know that by not just reading the word, but walking in the word. We know we're called to train our children in the way of the word, but it's so important that we train them, not just teach them, not just tell them this is what the word says, and this is what you're supposed to do, but train them, meaning showing them, that's where the leading by example thing comes we can't just expect children or anyone to follow the word if we're just telling them what it means but not showing them what it means and that's what we're going to see here in this text there's going to be men that followed god's word and the whole tribe's going to be blessed because of them and there's going to be other men that that didn't follow god's word and there's going to be some cursings that are attached to that some curses if you look at genesis chapter 49 verse 2 gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel your father you see that he's referred to as Jacob and Israel right this is interesting God called him to be Israel but even up into his death Jacob's still there there's still a remnant of Jacob, right? And we've talked about this. Jacob is usually referred to as Jacob when he's struggling with faith, when he's lacking faith, when he's being deceitful and acting like the old man. And he's referred to as Israel in the text often when, when he's operating in faith, when he's becoming the man that God called him to be. Because he says, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. But that name keeps coming back up and it comes up all the way to the point of his death. What's the point? Jacob battled with the old man his entire life. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24, you can write it down, uh, basically says this. It says, put off the old man and put on the New man, right? Putting off the old man is a lifelong battle. It really is. We can put him off and then he can resurrect himself and come back and we think he's dead, we think he's gone and that little thing that we thought was so far away from us that we would never do again or never touch again and then he comes back. There's the temptation. There it is. Whatever it may be. I thought that guy was dead. He's supposed to be dead. But you can't convince yourself that he's completely dead if there's a remnant of him left because you gotta pursue it. You gotta keep killing him. And that's what we see here with Jacob. He's still Jacob till the end of his life, but he's also still Israel, right? He has become the new man in a lot of ways. There is faith. In Israel, he's been displaying faith, he's been communicating faith, he's been acting in faith. So there is that new man there, but there's still the remnant of the old man. Struggling between the man he was born as and the man that god called him to be and that's the story of our whole lives so often i'll run into people and they'll be so frustrated and i get it and my heart goes out to them man i fell back into this thing again or i did this dumb thing again or whatever and it's like hey let's get real This is a lifelong battle. The sanctification process, it doesn't end till we're gone. And that's the truth. That's the truth with Jacob. That's the truth with us. So he gathers his sons together, verse two. So we're going to see as he gathers his sons, uh, he doesn't necessarily address them um in birth order okay the first four he will um, And this is kind of interesting uh some say that he's just addressing them as they come around his deathbed and he's just like okay it happened to be the first four were in order and then he goes on to the next ones we're going to see that he blesses leah's sons first but there's a another thought here that the order that uh jacob blesses his sons actually lines up with with history and what actually happened with Israel. Now, some of it lines up like, oh my gosh, that's really cool. And then other stuff's like, mm, that's kind of a stretch. So I'm not teaching that, but it's something to look into. It's really fascinating, really cool, especially in the beginning. But when you get to some of the uh, latter blessings, it's a little, uh, maybe they just haven't happened yet. I don't know. Genesis chapter 49, verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of my, of dignity and the excellency of power. Started off good, right? Verse four, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So we see the firstborn was Reuben, obviously, and as the firstborn, uh, tradition would say he should receive the birthright. And he says, hey, you're, you're my strength, you're my firstborn, you're my firstborn son. When I looked at you like, you were going to get the birthright, and then what? You blew it, right? Because you're inst- unstable in all your ways. You slept with Bilhah, who was the the maidservant, right? Who This is like kind of a weird thing that happened, but we remember uh, studying it previously. We see that Reuben did sleep with Bilhah, so now God is going to curse him. Point number two, bad decisions lead to bad consequences. Duh, right? Bad decisions lead to bad consequences. (laughs) Just follow me. It goes with the rest of the stuff. (laughs) Never thought about that one before. Bad decisions lead to bad consequences. So we see Reuben, he had the opportunity to, to get the birthright because he was the firstborn, but because of a decision that he made. One decision that he made. Okay, now it says he's unstable. That's labeling him with a character quality. So there's some probably other decisions that we don't know about. But the one decision that he's pinning it on is the decision for him to sleep with his father's kind of concubine sort of wife kind of kind of confusing. Anyways, we see that Reuben made this one decision and he robbed himself of God's blessing. Now, when you look at the decision that Reuben made, ultimately it was a decision to engage in sexual immorality. It's a sin, right? Sexual immorality is a sin. When we choose sexual immorality or we fall into sexual immorality, we rob ourselves of God's best. Reuben would have got so much more had he not given into the temptation of sexual immorality. Same goes for us. If we choose to give into that temptation, we're going to rob ourselves of a greater blessing that God could have had for us. And we see here, look what it says. He's not only unstable. It says, unstable as water, you shall not excel. The tribe of Reuben didn't excel. We don't see a a prophet. We don't see a judge. We don't see a king. We don't see any leaders coming through the tribe of Reuben. It didn't happen. That tribe did not excel when you look at history. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man, a man, (laughs) more than that. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So we see Simeon was the second born. uh, Levi was the third born, but Reuben messed up. So then it would have gone to Simeon, but... Simeon messes up and Levi mess up together. And how did they mess up? You probably remember the story. Talked about it a couple months ago. But you remember when Dinah was raped by Shechem, right? Their sister was raped by Shechem and, and they basically took vengeance into their own hands. They said, made this deal. Okay, if all these men get circumcised, then we'll intermarry with them. And what happened? When they got circumcised and they were healing from their circumcisions, Simeon and Levi just slaughtered all of them it 's like genocide. they killed the whole people group. So now we see Jacob saying, "You guys are cruel you 're angry, and because of your cruelty, because of your anger you 're not going to get the blessing that you deserve see when you look at so many of these men and the decisions that they made, we can look at this and say, hey, what about forgiveness, right? Jacob, why, you're, you weren't like the best example. You were constantly lying, constantly deceiving, constantly doing all these things. Where's the forgiveness at? Where's that heart of of grace? But there's also a truth in Scripture I believe that God had forgiven Reuben. I believe that God had forgiven Simeon. I believe God forgave Levi, but there were still consequences for their actions. See, the Lord, he will forgive us of our sins if we confess our, confess our sins. He promises that, but still that doesn't mean that we won't get consequences for our actions and they're experiencing consequences because of these actions. They slaughtered a whole people group and that can apply to our lives if you look at uh, Uh, debt right it's like God forgave you of the debt that you accumulated all right when you look at sin and even the the financial debt that you may be accumulated but you still got to pay the debt back right or criminal records, you might have a record and I have my fair share of things that I fell into. Luckily, that stuff got wiped away, but sometimes I know people that come to our church and people that I've talked to and they've had these past things that prevents them from from maybe having it a little easier, maybe having a, a better job or a better career path or whatever because of decisions that they made. God's not holding that against them, but because of the choices that were made, we still suffer consequences sometimes for those choices. Choices. That's exactly what's happening with Simeon and Levi. God may have forgiven them, but they're still suffering consequences by not receiving a greater blessing because of things that they did in the past. And specifically in verse 7, this is what it is. He, he, he says he curses them because of their anger. Cursed be their anger. This was their issue. This was their sin. Their anger led them to do something tragic, right? Right? Now, anger, it can be a sin, but anger in and of itself isn't a sin. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, you can write it down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. What? Be angry and do not sin? Yeah, we can be angry and do not sin. Anger turns into sin when it's directed at the wrong thing. Based on what our anger is directed at and what we do with our anger, that's when it becomes a sin. Okay, because we see Jesus, when He cleanses the temple, He was angry, right? Jesus never sinned. He was angry at the right thing. He was angry at sin. He was angry because the temple was being misused. It was pushing people away from intimacy with God, and that frustrated Him. And He was angry about that. But that anger, it wasn't a sin. It's all about what it's directed towards. Yes, we're called to be angry at sin. We're not called to be angry at people to the point that we've either murdered them in their heart or in our heart or in Simeon and Levi's case actually murdered them. Okay, there's a big difference there. They're cursed for their anger because of what they did with their anger. They acted out in self-will. Look what it says at the end of verse 6. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. This is why their anger was a sin. They didn't allow God to have vengeance for Dinah. They took vengeance into their own hand, right? And in Romans chapter 12, it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. They didn't trust God to take care of the situation. They acted out in anger, and they were the ones that tried to achieve vengeance on their own. And look at this. This is basically... Uh, Where the, where the curse, um, gets unpacked, what the direction, uh, Jacob gives them at the end of verse seven, it says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. He's speaking of the promised land. Okay. And this actually came true. He, he scattered Simeon and Levi. He scattered them in different ways. When you look at, um, Joshua 19 and 19 to like 21, uh, we see where the tribes uh, got designated different portions of, of the promised land. And what we're going to see with Simeon is he kind of, he gets like some territory within Judah. So he kind of just gets like scattered amongst the tribe of Judah. They just have a little land there really come to, to much of anything now Levi uh, they get scattered as well but in a different way right why well if you remember in Exodus when the people worshiped the golden calf after Moses came down from the mountain to give the people the 10 commandments we remember there was all these people they were worshiping these golden calves it was golden calf it was a golden calf that 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 Aaron had made and we see that the Levites were the ones that stood up for righteousness and said hey we'll slaughter the people We'll, we'll, we'll take care of them. And that day, 3,000 people were killed. And because of that, Moses said, you're redeemed. So you're going to get land. But you're not going to get like your own land. So the Levites, we see, they became the priest. Interestingly enough, they they were cursed because of their their anger. But now they're blessed because this is righteous anger. Okay, we're not going to get into that. Uh, but anyways, we see the Levites, they became the priests And they were allotted cities in all uh, of the 12 tribes, all of the 12 portions of Israel. So they were both scattered. Levi was redeemed in a way. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down. Judah is a lion's whelp. And I want to get into more into Judah. So we see firstborn Reuben, secondborn Simeon, thirdborn Levi, fourthborn is Judah. Judah was the fourthborn and he has a lot of good things to say about Judah. But we know some other things about Judah, right? Judah had his fair share of mistakes, right? He was the one that suggested that they sell Joseph into slavery. Now, that was uh, uh, over them killing Joseph, but still the same. Let's sell Joseph into slavery. That was Judah that said that. We also see that Judah married a Canaanite that he wasn't supposed to marry. He also didn't keep his word to Tamar. And then he ended up sleeping with Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law okay? Judah has made his fair share of mistakes. So why is Judah getting blessed? Because Judah turned it around. When you look at Genesis chapter 44, what do we see in Judah? This leadership character quality. He was willing to lay down his life for Benjamin. He was willing to put himself in Benjamin's place and literally become a slave. He was self-sacrificial and he learned what it meant to be a self-sacrificial leader. And because of that, that one decision, to stand up and become who God had called him to be. Now he's redeemed. Point number three, one good decision can lead to the redemption. One good decision can lead to redemption. Judah makes that one deci- decision to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for Benjamin, to say, Joseph, even though he didn't know it was Joseph, I'll, I'll take his place, I'll become the slave and because of that, he's redeemed. And his father has all these awesome things to say about him. See, we can make a lot of mistakes in life. We can have shortcomings. We can have uh, uh, moments of, of backsliding, whatever it may be. But there's so much power in one good decision. There's so much power in one good decision. Now, the best decision we could ever make is first and foremost to... Follow Jesus, right? To choose Jesus. And that's ultimately what brings us redemption. Okay, but I'm not just talking about redemption in the form of salvation. I'm talking about redemption in the general sense. We can make one good decision and it can redeem a relationship we can make one good decision and it can redeem our character we can make one good decision and it can redeem so many different things judah makes one good decision and he's redeemed completely he doesn't bring up his past he didn't bring up all the other stuff that he did that one decision covered a multitude of sins and look what he says your brother shall praise you okay your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies Your father's children shall bow down before you. So we see, uh, basically, we've mentioned this before. When you look at the birthright in tradition, there was two things that went with the birthright. Okay? And usually one person got it. This was interesting what Jacob did. Okay? First of all, the, the, the person, the son that received the birthright, it wasn't always the older oldest one. Usually it was, but not always. He would receive the spiritual leadership position and he would also get a double portion of the inheritance over his other brothers. Okay. We see Jacob divides the birthright. He gives Judah the leadership position and he gives Joseph the double portion. Through his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, right? We talked about that last week. So it's just an interesting thing that Jacob does because we will see Judah has that position of leadership because he stepped up and was the leader that he was supposed to be in that situation with Benjamin. And obviously we know, and we'll talk about it in a moment, that there would be many powerful leaders that come through the tribe of Judah, not to mention Jesus Christ, right? Right? So if you look, we'll start talking about that because he will. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 9, it says Judah is a lion's whelp. He likens Judah to a lion. And he has a few different things that he says about Judah being lion-like. There's so many messianic prophecies in here. And just this blessing over Judah. We won't get into all of them, but I'll bring up a few. He likens him to a lion. You remember Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, speaking of Jesus, they say the lion of Judah, right? The lion of Judah, that's Jesus. So there's prophecy right here. He's speaking not just of Judah, but of Jesus, the Messiah, who would, uh, who would come. And then he says, from the prey, my son, verse 9, you have gone up, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So there's, there's a lot here, but I want to focus on verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from, uh, from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes so what we see here is this leadership prophecy that wasn't just given to judah but given to the tribe of judah now this prophecy doesn't begin to be fulfilled for some 600 years later when david from the tribe of judah son of jesse becomes the king right David becomes the king and he's the greatest king that Israel ever knew. And what we see from that point forward, we have these different princes and kings from the line of Judah all the way leading up to the point of the person of Jesus Christ, which would come 16,000, 1600 years after this prophecy was made. But this part where he says the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, there's two different takes on this, and I'm going to share both of them. Both of them are, are pretty cool. Now, when they say the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, we'll talk about Shiloh. That was a direct uh, phrase or word that was, in, that was referencing the Messiah. It was referencing Jesus Christ, and I'll explain that in a moment, but we see that through all the hardship that Israel with, went through during the Babylonian exile and so many different wars and battles and losing land and coming back and all these different things, they were still able throughout that time to, to keep their laws for the most part, and they were able to inflict capital punishment. If somebody committed a sin that was deserving of capital punishment, they were allowed to, to, to put that person to death because that's what the, the law says. That's what the Hebrew law Tells us the law that God gave the Jews. Now we see uh, somewhere between 7 and 12 AD under the rule of Herod, Rome took away that right. Rome took away the right for the Jews to inflict capital punishment. That's why Jesus, when he, before he died on the cross, they had to petition to Pilate to, to, so that he could say, a Roman official say that you crucify this man because they weren't able to inflict capital punishment. Now, the prophecy says the scepter won't depart. You'll have, you'll have rule, you'll have reign, you'll have this certain, uh, governance over, over your people until Shiloh comes. So their belief was, okay, we're gonna have authority over our people people and over our laws and able to inflict our laws until the Messiah comes. Well, in about whatever, nine to 12 AD, we see that this, uh, right was taken away from them. So the rabbis start weeping in the streets. They start weeping in the streets because they're going, Hey, this right was taken from us. The scepter departed in Shiloh has not come. Little did they know Jesus was already born. Jesus was already there. They didn't know that Shiloh had come. Now, others will say that the scepter departed in 70 AD when the, the temple was destroyed and Israel was scattered. Either way, Shiloh had already come. So the prophecy fits in, in both of those settings. They're both very interesting, but that's exactly what it says. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. So, This word Shiloh, it ends up being a place, but we see that it's talking about not a place, a person. Until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So it's clearly speaking of a person. And this word, it either means one who brings peace or he whose right it is. Meaning one who brings peace or he whose right it is. Well, we see Jesus fulfills both of those things, right? He's the one that brought peace and it's his right to rule and reign. And we see those both of those prophecies tied up in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, right? For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And government shall rest upon his shoulders. So whichever word that it actually means, he fulfills both of those things. See, they didn't see it. They didn't get it. Shiloh had come their king their messiah had come and what happened when jesus came he 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 declared his his kingship he declared that he was god and if you will symbolically the scepter hasn't departed from jesus he rules and he reigns so this prophecy is still being fulfilled as we sit here today if you look at genesis chapter 49 verse 11 it says Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, specifically, we see that this is really pointing to the fact that Judah's land would be very prosperous. Lots of grapes, lots of wine. Uh, the the tea thing is because this is a land flowing with milk and honey, right? So they'd have great teeth and Judah would have this 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 nice portion of land. But there's also something really interesting in Isaiah chapter 63. Just write it down. We don't have time to go into all this stuff. But there's a depiction of Jesus Christ at his second coming at the battle of Armageddon. And it's very similar to the description that we see here. Okay, Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verses 1 to 4. If you want to write that down and look at it later, it's, it's pretty cool. Genesis chapter 49, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea, he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. So many people uh, believe that Zebulun's territory, uh, it dwelt between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. That would perfectly line up with the scripture and the ships and the border of Sidon, because that's right there as well. Look at Genesis chapter 49, verse 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. There's some interesting stuff here about Issachar. This man apparently was strong. And actually, if you look at Numbers chapter 26, Issachar, that tribe, it's the third largest tribe. So they were not only strong, they were strong in Numbers. But it also says this, they're strong like a donkey. I don't know if I would love that compliment, but that's that's what he told them, okay? Strong like a donkey, but also, uh, look what he says here. Not only is he strong, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He likes rest. So many say that he was strong, but he was lazy, He was a strong man, but he was a lazy man. In this tribe, followed in his footsteps. He was. He was. They were strong. They had many numbers, but they were lazy. Are you strong but lazy? Do you have many gifts and talents? Do you have so much to offer, but you don't use any of it? See, it's not about what we have; it's what we use. Many of us can fall into this. God could have gifted you in a in a very powerful way, called you to be this, this strong donkey, if you will, but in all sincerity, he, he's gifted you. He's given you strength. He's given you maybe even leadership abilities and it's going to waste. Why? Because of laziness. That was Issachar. He was strong. He had a lot of ability, and but he was lazy. The Bible warns us about laziness time and time again. And look at the result of his laziness. This is what it says. In verse 15, He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. We see throughout history, because of Issachar's numbers, they were often taken captive and sold into slavery. Now, a lot of this was because they didn't have the, yes, they had the strength, but they didn't have the motivation to fight for what was theirs. So we see here, even through history, their laziness led to their slavery. But that can be us too. Our laziness can lead us to bondage. Our laziness can lead us into the bondage of sin. And that too can rob us of the blessings of God. If you would just do what I'm asking you to do, you have no idea what what awaits you. Issachar, you didn't get to find that out. Genesis chapter 49, verse 16 Dan shall judge his people. Okay, we see Samson was um, was of the tribe of Jan, Dan and he was a judge. Okay, so that's fulfilled uh, in, in the person of Samson. Okay, not only uh, would there be a judge as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backward. So we see here, Dan, though we would see that... Le- samson he says he's a serpent by the way now some will say that this means that the antichrist is going to come from the tribe of dan okay i don't believe that um through studying Revelation and different things, it seems that the Antichrist will come from the old Roman Empire, okay? Not the one that there is now, the old Roman Empire from one of those territories. It does, and, it, and also uh, the Bible tends to lead you to believe that the Antichrist is going to come, uh, he's going to be a Gentile because he comes from the sea, okay? I don't want to get too much into this to confuse you, but we see the sea is a picture of the nations throughout the Bible. It's a picture of the Gentile nations, okay? So, Don't believe that the Antichrist comes from the tribe of Dan. Many do. That's fine. Uh, But I don't. Okay, so we see that there's this connection between Dan and the serpent. What do we know about the serpent? That serpent of old, the devil, right? Who was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. We see that there's this connection between the serpent and Dan. He bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backwards. And we see that Dan was actually the cause of bringing a lot of the idolatry into Israel. Okay, and there's a lot of scriptures that support this. For time's sake, I can't get into all of them. But we see Dan brought idolatry into Israel. And it caused a lot of people to backslide and start worshiping other gods. Genesis chapter 49, verse 18. This is in the midst of this, okay? He says, "I've waited for your salvation, O Lord." Now, this is this is pretty interesting. Okay, this seems like it's kind of out of place, but it's not. You got to look at Jacob's train of thought. Okay, he was just talking about this blessing bestowed on Judah. Now, you got to remember, God's giving him this to say to them. This is prophecy. Okay, I don't know if Judah really like under or sorry, I don't know if Jacob really understands what's coming out of his mouth, but but it's prophecy. This is powerful. He was just talking about the tribe of Judah and how Shiloh would come from the tribe of Judah. Who would that be? jesus christ right now he's talking about dan and this serpent okay when you look at the the first real prophecy concerning the christ in the bible it's in genesis chapter 3 it's in genesis chapter 3 during the curse we see this prophetic statement that god makes So the Lord, verse 14, so the Lord, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go and you shall see dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Talking about Jesus Christ, okay? His his heels would be pierced, but Jesus, through the cross, would stomp the serpent's head. He uses some of that same scripture, some of those same kind of kind of wording, and then he says, I want to reread it, verse 18, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. He recognizes this connection between the Messiah, the serpent, and salvation. The coolest thing here is, you know what that word salvation is in the Hebrew? It's Yeshua. That's the Hebrew name for Jesus. Literally, Jacob is on his deathbed. He's saying these prophecies, and he cries out the name of Jesus. He says, Yeshua, God saves. Fascinating. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 19, Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. We see um, that Gad, uh, they were known for their... Uh, Soldiers and, and warriors and, and, and warlike ability, and we see actually in First Chronicles chapter twelve that they provided David with a lot of, a lot of troops with a lot of soldiers, so we see some of that fulfilled. We also see uh, look what it says again uh, a troop shall tramp upon him, we also see, but he shall triumph at last. So we see they do triumph, but we see several times throughout the scriptures, specifically in Jeremiah's day, that Gad was oppressed by other nations. Genesis chapter 49, verse 20 says, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. So basically, he's talking about the goodness of this land that Asher would obtain. And they, in fact, did obtain this, this, this good land. If you look at Joshua chapter 19, um, basically, they uh, obtained this portion of land that sat right on the seacoast between Tyre and Sidon. It was a very, uh, very fruitful land. Genesis chapter 49, verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. So we see this tribe would be known for its swiftness and its eloquence of speech. And we also see another cool thing that comes up later in Matthew chapter 4. This region of Naphtali is 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 the Galilee region. Okay, it's in there. And in Matthew chapter four, we see Jesus called to preach in this region. So when you talk about this eloquence of speech and these beautiful words, um, even if they didn't fulfill it completely, Jesus Christ did in the preaching that he did there. Genesis chapter 49, verse 22 says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well." His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, sh- shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained its strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty you will, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath Blessings of the breast of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who is separate from his brother. So we see this. Uh, bountiful blessing on joseph because of the decisions that he made and the redemption that he brought to his entire family and saving them from the famine and and the first thing he says is that joseph is fruitful point number four fruitful fathers produce fruitful families we see joseph he not only redeemed his family but he produced fruit in them yeah how Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, judgment. Right? What are these words? They're character qualities. Remember, when you see Joseph in those encounters that he has with his brothers, he could have just provided for them, right? He could have just gave them food, right? He could have just saved them. But he doesn't just do that. He redeems them. How? By testing them. Why? To produce character in them. He produced fruit in his family because of the tests that he walked them through. And we see the same goes for us if we're men or fathers or leaders in any capacity God's called us to be fruitful and that fruit it it spreads when we produce fruit it inspires others to produce fruit and we see these tribes are are fruitful now they fall into some things that we'll get into in a minute and we see here in verse twenty four most of what he's saying to, to Joseph has to do with what actually happened. And there definitely is uh, some prophecy here. In the end of verse 24, he says, By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. We see God referred to right there as the shepherd and as the stone of Israel. What do we know about Jesus Christ? What's he referred to as? The good shepherd and also the rock in the wilderness, Right. First Corinthians tells us that, that he was the rock in the wilderness that provided the water for them during the Exodus. So there's some prophecy there as well. And he says, by the God of your father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast of the womb, the blessings of your father have have excelled, the blessings of my ancestors. So this is kind of cool too. Jacob, we hear him complaining quite a bit in the past, but right now at the end of it, he's seeing God's blessed me more than Abraham. He's blessed me more than Isaac. He chose me and my sons to become the 12 tribes of Israel. So in the end, he starts to get it. He's seeing how much God is blessing him up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So we see this reference to Joseph and this crown. Remember how I told you that the birthright was split, right? Jacob split the birthright. He said, Judah, you're going to become the leader, Joseph, because your sons Manasseh and Ephraim, you're getting a double portion. They're going to become tribes. So Manasseh and Ephraim basically make up the tribe of of Joseph, but it's split so that they get a double portion of the land, right? But we also see this leadership quality in Joseph because he was a great leader too. And later on, as we get into when you start getting into First Kings, uh, chapter twelve is really where it happens. After Solomon, he has this son named Rehoboam. Now Rehoboam had big shoes to fill, to say the least, right? Solomon built the temple; he was wealthy. Israel has never been in a more wealthy place than that time, and we see that Rehoboam he's talking to the people and the people are like, hey, don't put this heavy burden on us. We we don't want this heavy burden on us. Please, please, please don't do this to us. And he goes to the elders and the elders say, hey, if you serve your people, they'll serve you forever. If you serve your people and you put yourself out there and you don't, and you take some of that burden away, some of that pressure that Solomon put on them, they will serve you forever. And then what did Rehoboam do? He goes and talks to his friends, his buddies. What do you guys think? It's like, don't listen to the elders, his friends say. No, 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 the elders don't know what they're talking about. You need to do better. You need to do more than Solomon did. You know what you should tell the people? Say, my father whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm going to put a heavier burden on you. Now, obviously, David, tribe of Judah, Solomon, his son, Rehoboam, his son. This is the tribe of Judah. He's the king of Israel. That was the decision that was made in that moment. And that's why... The nation was divided. Jeroboam, who was another man, was from the tribe of Ephraim. Okay, that comes from Joseph. Okay, so that's part of this blessing. He became the ruler of Israel. And we see after that, we see the separation. The northern territory is typically referred to as Israel or Ephraim. And the southern territory, which would be Judah and Benjamin, is referred to as Judah. So we see even the prophecy of of Joseph getting the, Joseph and Judah got the big blessings, and we see those leadership qualities carried out through history. Now, a lot of those (laughs) uh, kings of Israel were very corrupt, so were uh, some of the ones from Judah. But nevertheless, we see some of this prophecy fulfilled through history. Genesis chapter 49, verse 27, he says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil." So we see that Benjamin, his tribe, would have this reputation of of fierceness. We see that in the person of King Saul, okay, he was, he was a warrior, he was, a, he was a, a soldier who ultimately became a king. We also see this in one of our favorite disciples, apostles of all time, in the person of Saul of Tarsus, right, who became Paul, and what did he do? He was pretty ravenous, I would say, persecuting Christians, right, having them drug out of their house. So we see that there are these character qualities fulfilled through the scripture in the tribe of benjamin and paul was of the tribe of benjamin genesis chapter 49 verse 28 i know i'm going so fast i have to there's so much information (laughs) all these are the 12 tribes of israel and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Now, some of these don't really look like a blessing, but it's referred to as a blessing. And He actually curses some of them. But the coolest thing I want to point back to is that we can look through history and see these things happen. See how these things played out. This one blessing that was documented so long ago, nobody knew it was actually going to happen, but it happened. And history proves that God's word is True, God is faithful to fulfill everything that he talks about. Now, some of this stuff, some of this stuff, maybe it hasn't happened yet. So some of it's a little foggy with some of the tribes, but so much of it has happened that we can trust that it's true. Genesis chapter 49, verse 29. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron." the Hittite. And the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is where Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah's wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth okay? This was the cave that Abraham originally bought, and he's saying, hey, all my family, my descendants uh, have been buried there. I too want to be buried there. Now we see, we'll see in the next chapter in Genesis chapter 50, they actually do take him back there to to bury him there. But this also says a lot more, right? What land are they in right now? They're in the land of Egypt, yeah? And they're going to be there for another 400 years, okay? 400 plus years altogether. But Jacob is saying, I want you to bury me back in the promised land because though I'm here in Egypt, that's our land and we're going back there. We're going to be back there one day. I want you to put me back there, not only because I want to be buried with my descendants, but I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember where you're going again because God is going to fulfill the promises that he said in bringing us to the promised land and making us a fruitful people in that land. In Genesis chapter 49, closing it out, verse 33. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last. And he was gathered to his people. So we see Jacob, he, he passes, he dies. He lived, he lived a long life, a very long life and in the end though he's had his struggles you know he's he's been the deceiver he's been the liar he's been the complainer he's been all these things but he's a patriarch why because he walked by faith and he followed God even when he didn't want to. Ultimately, he is a pillar of faith. And though he had all those things going on at the end of his life and, uh, so concerned because he lost Joseph and then he thought he's gonna leave Benjamin. It seemed like he didn't care too much about Simeon. That's sad. But regardless, we see that, that Jacob, though he had those, 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 those struggles and the old man and the new man battling against each other in the end, just like last chapter, All he's talking about is the blessings God's bestowed on him, and he's passing those blessings on to his sons, on to his children. So he ends his life with this, look, verse 26, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. His perspective changes at the end. He sees the big picture and all that God's done, and he gets the blessing of this prophetic uh, information about what was going to happen with his sons, what what God was going to do to them. He would bring the Messiah from one of his children, and he looks at all this, and he is able to die a peaceful, joyful death. And he was, we'll see next chapter, gathered to his people. See, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And these are the men that God chose to be the leaders of his chosen people. It was these guys. And you look at these guys, it's like, wow. (laughs) Man, these guys struggled. They made some mistakes. They fell short quite a bit. But it had nothing to do with their errors or their flaws. It was all because God chose them. Those were the people that God chose. But we also see... Yes, God chose them and yes, God blessed them. The decisions that they made, regardless of the blessing, still had consequences. It still affected other people. And we see throughout history, even to this day. Now, uh, people don't really know what tribe they're from for the most part, but we see through history and the Bible and other historical records that these tribes picked up on the character qualities and decisions that the men, the fathers of their nation made before them. I started this teaching asking you how much impact one decision can make. And we see these blessings bestowed on this, these men. And, and it really boils down, many of them, to one decision, whether good or bad. And we look at decisions in our life, and every single day we have to make decisions. And sometimes they're easy decisions, sometimes they're hard decisions. Sometimes it's a decision that I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't want to do it, and sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do and I want to do it. Whatever it is but we can't minimize the decisions that we make because our decisions, they never just affect us. They don't affect us, okay? I say never, okay? Maybe sometimes what you eat, okay? It could affect other people depending on what it is. Uh, but in all sincerity, <laughs> hey, you guys, your minds, come on, follow me here. Um, <laughs> The decisions that we make do affect other people. And for these men, literally the decisions that they made shaped their entire nation. Think about that. God's trying to tell us something. The decisions that we make can shape our nation. They can change things for better or for worse but there's a lot of weight in one decision. I pray that we wouldn't minimize it. We would see how big the decisions that we make, how big they actually are and how they will ultimately influence people down the road. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your word in this time, God. So much, so much information, Lord. And, um, God so much you did with these men throughout history and I could study it for 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 decades really God but I pray that you would just get the message across to us if there was anything specifically lord that that you wanted to get across to 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 any individual this in this room including me God I pray that that would just uh, reside in our hearts, and and we would meditate on that thing, Lord, and we would allow it to to change us from the inside out. We wouldn't leave here unchanged, God, but we would leave leave challenged with something that you gave us, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, the fact that your word is living and powerful, God, and we pray that it would continue to, to shape us, help us make decisions that are are going to benefit others and not not uh, affect others in a negative way. In Jesus' name, Amen.